This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, June 16th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. Tensions in the Middle East erupt as the U.S. accuses Iran of attacking two oil tankers in the Gulf of Oman and firing a missile at a U.S. drone surveying the damage. We'll get the latest from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton. President Trump says he'd be open to offers of assistance from foreign countries who say they have damaging information about his opponents. There's nothing wrong with listening. That made Republicans and White House advisors cringe and Democrats pounce. We sat down with South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He's one of 24 Democrats running for president. We'll also talk with the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff. Plus, as the 2020 candidates pick up the pace, offering more policies and more personal attacks. Joe Biden is a dummy. The president is literally an existential threat. We'll kick off the 2020 CBS News Battleground Tracker with a look at where the field stands in the early primary and caucus states. And what matters most to Democrats when it comes to finding their nominee. Plus, we'll have analysis on all the political news of the week just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin today with the increasing tensions between the U.S. and Iran and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Good morning, Mr. Secretary, and happy Father's Day. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, We've had a series of events in past days, the attacks on the tankers and these reports of a missile being fired at a U.S. drone. How is the U.S. going to respond? I think you have to put it in the context of 40 years of behavior inside the Islamic Republic of Iran. This is uh, this is consistent with how they have behaved previously. They did it when they were in the JCPOA. They built their missile program. We relieved sanctions. They took American sailors hostage. Uh, this is a regime that has uh, caused much trouble around the world. Uh, the last 40 days, we've seen a number of activities, not just uh, these past two, but four other commercial ships, which challenged the international norms of freedom of navigation. Uh, the United States is considering a uh, full range of options. We've briefed the president a couple of times. We'll continue to keep him updated. Uh, we are confident that we can take a set of actions that can restore deterrence, which is our mission set. You say a full range of options. Does that include a military response? Of course. Of course, the president will consider uh, everything we need to do to make sure, right? But what's the president said, we don't want Iran to get a nuclear weapon. The previous administration put them on a pathway that virtually guaranteed that they could get there. So we withdrew from the ridiculous JCPOA and are moving ourselves towards a set of policies which will convince Iran to behave simply like a normal nation. And so you've seen them uh, attacking international waterways, trying to, frankly, drive up the price of crude oil around the world so that the world will cry uncle and why allow Iran to... Why do ca- that? If they're so cash-strapped and they need these customers, why would they attack them? Because Iran can't sell its crude oil. We've stopped them from doing that. We've put sanctions in place that have taken them from... Roughly 2.7 mar- barrels per day, million barrels per day, with American sanctions. CENTCOM released this video of uh, purporting to show an IRGC Revolutionary Guard patrol boat pulling up a- a- alongside these vessels and removing a mine from the hull of the ship. Um, how certain are you that this is the IRGC, and will you take that evidence and present it to our allies and the United Nations? Of course we will. And, and And we don't just purport. That's what that video is. <laughs> Uh, this was this was taken from an American camera. This is the stop. This is the real data. Yes, we've shared it with allies already. Uh, you've had the chance to see it. Uh, I made uh, a bunch of phone calls yesterday. I'll make a whole bunch more calls today. The world needs to unite against this threat from the Islamic Republic of Iran. And is Mar- the Mar- IRGC? Yes, Margaret. Definitely uh, the, the Revolutionary it, Guard Corps. It, it, it is. And and, and Margaret, I'll remind you too. 
China gets over 80% of its crude oil transiting through the Strait of Hormuz. South Korea, Japan, these nations are incredibly dependent on these resources. We're prepared to do our part. We always defend freedom of navigation. We are going to work to build out a set of countries that have deep vested interest in keeping that straight open to help us do that. So when you talk about military response, you're talking about that, keeping the waterways open. You are not at this point talking about a strike on Iran. Oh, goodness. President Trump has said very clearly he doesn't want to go to war. At the same time, we've made very clear. That do you have the legal authorization for a strike on Iran? We, we always have the authorization to defend American interests. Remember, they now have attacked uh, U.S. aircraft. They, on June 6th, there was a missile fired from Yemen that we assess had Iranian assistance that took down an MQ-9 aircraft. These are attacks on fundamental international norms and now on American interests, and we always have the right to defend our country. But I ask you because there are questions about whether the existing authorization for use of military force, the AUMF, would actually include a strike on Iran. Sure. Are you confident that you could go and not have to ask Congress for permission to take action? Morgan, I, I don't want to get into hypotheticals, but uh, the American people should be very confident the actions that the United States takes under President Trump will always be lawful, always consistent with our Constitution, and we will always do the hard tasks it takes to protect American interests wherever they are. But do you need Congress's permission? To, to do what, Margaret? I mean, depend, I don't know how to answer the question in the abstract. Permission. Well, you said a range of options are being looked at. Yes, so. every option we look at will be fully lawful. Uh, well, I want to ask you that because when you were trying to lay out this case, as you know, some allies have said that video released was not enough to convince them, with the exception of the U.K. and Saudi Arabia. Some allies are saying we need to see more and hear more from the United States. President Trump, as you said, he campaigned against Middle East wars. Uh, but there is also this perception that the administration is spoiling for this fight. You were a vocal critic when you were in Congress mm -hmm. of the nuclear deal you called the JCPOA earlier. Uh, the national security advisor right now is one of the architects of the 2003 war in Iraq. According to the latest Economist poll, 51 percent of Americans say the president is not honest versus 33 who say he is. If you have a credibility gap, that is going to be hard for you to sell something to the American public. How do you resolve that? Morgan, we're not selling anything. These, these are simple facts. Uh, I've had many conversations over the past frankly, weeks talking about Iran's activity. No one doubts the data set. I haven't, I haven't heard a single person say... The German think, foreign minister said the video was not enough. The German foreign minister has seen a great deal more than just that video. He will continue to see more. I will concede there are countries that just wish this would go away and they want to act in a way that is counterfactual. No one disputes that this is the Islamic Republic of Iran taking these actions to deny this international waterway, waterway and the freedom of navigation that is a fundamental right of every country to travel through that. No, I've seen no one deny it, uh, and I'm confident that as we continue to develop the fact pattern, uh, countries around the world will not only accept the basic facts, which I think are indisputable, uh, but will come to understand that this is an important mission for the world. One of the things when you were at the podium at the State Department earlier this week you presented as a fact was uh, an attack that was carried out in Kabul in May. Mm -hmm. The Taliban said they carried it out, but you blamed Iran for it. What evidence do you have that Iran was behind that attack? Morgan, in that same statement, the Taliban said they killed 10 people. I would suggest to you that the credibility of the Taliban is not something you ought to bring on to your show. Uh, we, but you I, believe I, Iran I, was behind I, it. I, I, we have uh, confidence that Iran instigated this attack. I, I can't share any more of the intelligence, uh, but I wouldn't have said it if the intelligence community hadn't become convinced that this was the case. So there's more that you can't share with us to yes, back yes, that up. Yes, ma'am. That's correct. Uh, Iran state media says that they are going to start looking at ramping up their production of nuclear fuel. What does the U.S. do to stop this if you've already withdrawn from the nuclear accord? Think about that. Iran is now announcing that in a matter of days they can begin to spin up their nuclear program. This tells you how flawed the deal was, right? It tells you that the deal had no capacity to actually stop it. What do you do now? Them. Do you just keep putting more sanctions on? Desperation doesn't always lead to the best decision-making. Our, our intention is this. We, we know that their nuclear program accelerates if they have more money and wealth. If they have more capacity, more resources, they have the access to metals and to materials and to uh, fissile material. If we relieve sanctions, their nuclear program presents an even greater risk to the United States. And so our mission has been very clear. Deny them the wealth and resources and their capacity to build out a nuclear program and be prepared to do all that it takes to prevent that from happening. 
I want to ask you quickly about Russia. The New York Times is reporting that the U.S. is escalating digital attacks, cyber attacks inside of Russia um, to hit back and attempted interference in 2018. The president has called this report both false and treasonous, which then suggests that there is some truth to it. So which is it? I never comment on intelligence matters. The president said it was. I, I, I never, I never comment on intelligence matters. Having having come from being CIA director, I know how important it is. But you should know, and your viewers should know, that the United States of America under President Trump has taken enormous effort to ensure that our elections are not interfered with, not from Russia, not from any other country in the world. It's a serious matter. It's one that this administration took seriously at the direction of President Trump from the very beginning of his time in office, and will continue to do that. I only wish the previous administration had been so serious about preventing election interference. It's interesting that we are sharpening this point because it's the same week when we heard uh, from the president, as you know, who told an interviewer on ABC earlier this week, that he would first listen to a foreign government if they tried to offer him dirt on an opponent and then make a decision as to whether or not to inform the FBI. As the former CIA director, someone who talks every day to foreign governments, what would you advise the president to do? President Trump clarified his remarks. I think it's pretty clear he'll do the right thing. I'm highly confident of that. I don't have anything else Which to add. I, I saw his remarks. He said, he said, I think in both instances, he said he'd, he'd do both. He said he'd report this to the FBI. Look, it, 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 it's, it's, you all present this well, as... He pre- no, he presented, he used the word maybe. Yeah, I, 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 was, I, listened listen to the, I listened first. to this very closely. The president made very clear he's going to do the right thing. I have enormous confidence in that. I've watched him do it. Call the FBI. I've watched him do the right thing every time we've had an important national security decision to be made. He's evaluated options and made very good choices about how to proceed. Mr. Secretary, thank you for your time. Margaret, thank you. We turn now to Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton. In addition to serving on the Intelligence and Armed Services Committee, he has also written a new book called Sacred Duty, a soldier's tour at Arlington National Cemetery. Good morning and happy Father's Day, Senator. Good morning, Margaret. Thanks for having me on. Uh, You have long been defined as a hawk on Iran. You see these recent attacks. These are commercial vessels, not military installations. Uh, What kind of response is warranted? Well, Iran for 40 years has engaged in this kind of attacks uh, going back to the 1980s. In fact, Ronald Reagan had to reflag a lot of vessels going through the Persian Gulf and ultimately take military action against Iran in 1988. These unprovoked attacks on commercial shipping warrant a retaliatory military strike. Are you... You're comparing the tanker war in the 80s to now and saying that that's the kind of military response you want to see? We can make a military response in a time and in a manner of our choosing. But yes, unprovoked attacks on commercial shipping warrant a retaliatory military strike against the Islamic Republic of Iran. A retaliatory strike. When we had Secretary Pompeo on just a few moments ago, he said the U.S. always has the authorization to defend American interests. As someone who sits in Congress, do you believe that he can act, the administration can act, without coming to Congress first? Yes, Margaret. Going back to President Washington and all the way down to President Trump, the fastest way to get the fire and fury of the U.S. military unleashed on you is to interfere with the freedom of navigation on the open seas and in the air. That's exactly what Iran is doing and one of the world's most important strategic choke points. The president has the authorization to act to defend American interests. Certainly, uh, it would be in keeping with what President Obama did unwisely in Libya in 2011 in launching a weeks-long campaign to overthrow the government there. What I'm talking about is not like what we've seen in Iraq for the last 16 years or Afghanistan for the last 18 years, but retaliatory military strikes against Iran that make it clear we will not tolerate any kind of attacks on commercial shipping on the open seas. So you believe that the existing authorization for military force is sufficient? You've also said, though, and as someone who served in Iraq, you have an appreciation for the need to be careful in parsing intelligence and in first reports. How do you convince the American people that they need to stomach something in terms of a potential strike that you're describing as somewhat easy to carry out when there were such vast underestimations of 
what U.S. force would bring about in Iraq and elsewhere in the past. Margaret, those are two very different things. In 2002, our intelligence agencies, just like every Western intelligence agency, was trying to assess the state of a weapons of mass destruction program, one of the things that states work the hardest to keep secret. There's really not much to assess right here. Everybody can see with their own two eyes those Iranian sailors going up to a ship and taking a mine off of it. Iranian sailors ultimately boarded and and took hostage the crew of one of those ships that they just released yesterday. They tried to shoot down one of our surveillance aircrafts over the Persian Gulf as we were simply trying to monitor what had happened there. As you heard Secretary Pompeo have said, they've increased their support on attacks on American troops Mm -hmm. by supporting a Taliban attack in Afghanistan, just like they killed 500 Americans in the Iraq war. So there's no doubt here what Iran is up to. They are struggling under the sanctions that we have placed on them. The status quo for them is unacceptable. They're hoping that they can drive up the price of oil and therefore benefit from it since their oil exports have declined so much and also get more pressure put on the United States to back off our campaign of maximum pressure. That's not going to happen. If anything, we need to increase that pressure. And I think this unprovoked attack on commercial shipping warrants retaliatory military strikes. Okay, so that's a step farther than what the secretary said the president was currently willing to stomach. Um, I want to ask you as well about what the president said this week. Um, He said he would listen, as you heard in that ABC interview, uh, to foreign countries who might have dirt on his opponents before deciding whether or not to report it to the FBI. Doesn't this undermine all of the efforts to make our elections secure when you have the president of the United States say something like that? No, no, Margaret. He said as well, not just on ABC, but especially on Fox Fox and Friends uh, later in the week, that he would, in fact, report those kind of contacts to the FBI. That's a very different thing, too, than what happened in 2016. But that's why it's relevant now and what we're talking about now in terms of And the president president said that he would report that to the FBI. And remember, that's just simply receiving information in a hypothetical. What happened in 2016 is Hillary Clinton hired a foreign spy who then recruited, let me finish, who then recruited Russian spies to fabricate lies about her political opponents that was then used used to generate a law enforcement investigation into the administration's political opponents. So you're okay with what the president said? The president said that he would report those kind of contacts to the FBI. He said maybe. He said maybe. Would you, I'm asking you. I ask you. The, the president same said question. he would, would as, as, any, as anyone answer? should. And what people should not do is what Hillary Clinton and the Democrats did, which is hire a foreign spy to recruit Russian spies to fabricate lies about their political opponents. Is Tom Cotton's answer to the question maybe when it comes to offering you and your campaign dirt? I would report those kind of contacts to the FBI. No, maybe. Thank you very much, Senator. We'll be back in one minute with Congressman Adam Schiff. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store. Because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a sleep number bed. Sleep number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We are back now with California Congressman Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Happy Father's Day to you, too, Chairman. Thank you. Good to have you here. Uh, You heard Tom Cotton, the senator, and before that, the secretary of state lay out this case against Iran. You, because you're on the Intelligence Committee, have been tracking uh, the intelligence as well. Is there any question in your mind that it is Iran and its Revolutionary Guard that is behind these attacks? There's no question that Iran is behind the attacks. I think the evidence is uh, very strong and compelling. In fact, I think this was a 
Class A screw-up by Iran uh, to insert a mine on the ship. It didn't detonate. They had to go back and retrieve it. I can imagine there are some uh, Iranian heads rolling uh, for that uh, botched operation. Um, but nonetheless, the problem is that we are struggling, even uh, in the midst of uh, this solid evidence, to persuade our allies to join us uh, in any kind of a response. And it shows just how isolated the United States has become. Our allies warned the United States. I think our intelligence agencies warned policymakers that this kind of Iranian reaction was likely uh, a result of a policy of withdrawing from the Iran nuclear agreement. Uh, and so what we see is a split of the U.S. from our allies, and we see Russia and China coming together uh, and having Iran's back. This is, I think, the worst of all uh, situations, and the maximalist uh, pressure campaign uh, has maximally failed and only heightened the risk of conflict uh, for my colleague, Senator Cotton, to advocate that we attack uh, Iran uh, and provoke a war, that there's no congressional authorization necessary, I think is exactly the wrong answer on, on both levels. Uh, congressional approval is necessary uh, to initiate the hostilities against Iran. Um, we should be trying to corral a response, though, uh, from the international community to protect shipping, to impose sanctions. But because we have so alienated ourselves from our allies, that's not happening. Do you see the risk of, of this getting out of control and escalating further? I mean, you hear very clearly from the Secretary of State the president is not seeking war. Senator Cotton is laying out a very different pathway. I think that's true. Uh, certainly, uh, the president has said that he doesn't want war, but nonetheless, his people, uh, and I don't know whether this is Pompeo or Bolton or both, seem to be taking actions to undercut that uh, ambition to stay out of warfare. Uh, at a time when the president sent a message, apparently through the Japanese prime minister, of an interest in going back to the table to negotiate, uh, Bolton was announcing new sanctions on Iran. Uh, now, is that an effort to scuttle uh, the president's effort to initiate a dialogue? It certainly seemed to have that effect. Um, but I think the, the whole idea that somehow through this pressure campaign, we were going to force Iran to capitulate and say, OK, we'll come back to the table, we'll give up everything, was naive, dangerously naive uh, in the first place. And this is what our allies are reacting to. This was eminently foreseeable. These attacks on shipping were eminently foreseeable. Uh, and the fact that our reneging on the deal hasn't made us safer um, is part of the proof. And, and I think for the secretary uh, to tell you this morning that see the flaws in the nuclear deal, Iran can go back to enriching now. We left the nuclear deal. Uh, how is that to make the case that the nuclear deal was flawed. We left the deal, and now we're going to complain that Iran is leaving as well. Uh, I want to switch gears to talk a little bit about Russia. Um, there was this New York Times report that I'm sure you saw that the U.S. is stepping up cyber, uh, I guess, offensive actions to shut down, potentially, Russian infrastructure, if needed, part of its retaliation for attempts to interfere uh, in elections, including 2018 and now. Is the national security community responding in a stronger way uh, to Russian interference than what we hear from President Trump himself? Uh, certainly, I think the intelligence community is training its uh, focus and resources on the Russian threat, even if the president isn't. Uh, I can't comment on whether the New York Times report is accurate or inaccurate, but certainly we, we've had a heightened focus on Russian meddling in our elections. There have been persistent concerns about Russia and other nations preparing the battlefield in terms of our energy grid and establishing a deterrent, I think, is very important. Uh, but that effort to establish a deterrent is dramatically undercut when the president uh, a month ago told Putin over the phone that he still thinks the Russian interference in our election was a hoax, uh, when the president says that uh, he still is open to receiving foreign help and he may or may not call the FBI. Uh, what I found most disturbing about that New York Times story about uh, whether we're preparing the battlefield uh, in terms of the electrical grid in Russia was the fact that uh, security officials with the administration felt they couldn't tell this to the president because he might compromise that information in a conversation with the Russians or he might countermand their orders, uh, their military decisions because uh, of the president's uh, obsequious attitude towards Russia. Is Congress getting briefed on that? Is there enough congressional oversight of this kind of program? Uh, we are certainly, and again, I can't confirm whether the program uh, that is described in the New York Times is either accurate or inaccurate, 
but we certainly uh, press the intelligence community and our military to be briefed, kept currently informed. Uh, and I think we are being kept informed, but, uh, but it's a continual effort. You said recently that you may subpoena the FBI director, Chris Wray, um, to ask him questions about the original counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign as it relates to 2016. Why is that necessary? Are you still suggesting that the president may be a Russian asset? Uh, what I'm suggesting is that the counterintelligence investigation that began when the FBI had concerns that people around the president and ultimately the president might be acting as witting or unwitting agents of a foreign power, we have not been able to get a briefing on since the day James Comey was fired. Uh, now, we are still, uh, now, we are just starting to get some information from the FBI. I think the threat to subpoena the director has had some impact. But we still don't know just who did the FBI have concerns about, mm -hmm. what findings did they make. Uh, the special counsel does refer in his report to FBI agents who were abetted and right. sent findings back to headquarters. We need to see those findings. Congressman, thank you very much. And we'll be back in just a moment. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. Welcome back to Face the Nation. South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg is one of the 24 Democrats running for president. He's 37 years old, and if he wins, he'd be the youngest president ever. He'd also be the first openly gay president. We caught up with him on the campaign trail in Virginia. You faulted Democrats in a speech this week for kind of not having much of a strategic foreign policy for the past few decades. What think, do you mean by that? I think that uh, it's been difficult, even confusing, to figure out what our foreign policy is because Democrats became so absorbed in opposing whatever the Republicans were doing. Now, often, rightly so, what the Republicans were doing was often terrible, but uh, we got so sucked into that. Uh, for example, uh, take the Iraq War, which uh, I opposed as a student and continue to think was uh, a terrible idea. Uh, we were so horrified by the way that democracy promotion was done at gunpoint then that it very nearly made our party into isolationists, when actually uh, we've often been the ones who believed in more international engagement. And so, so you would fault Joe Biden, who you'll be standing on the debate stage with, for his vote? Well, I certainly think that vote was a mistake, and, and I have a different view on that, uh, that conflict. Uh, but it's more than any individual vote or any individual conflict. It's what worldview is going to anchor our approach? We're not going to be able to figure out who we are as Democrats by keying off the Republicans and just deciding when we're against it and when we're going to accommodate it. We have to have our own view. And I think our own view needs to be based on the idea that American interests, American values, and American relationships all need to fit together. And it's very clear that the U.S. is adrift. I would argue under this administration, the U.S. does not have a foreign policy. Maybe an approach, but the approach is not pretty. It involves coddling dictators. It, it involves uh, blaming uh, fellow Americans for a lot of the problems we have around the world. Uh, and it's no substitute for a policy in which the U.S. is leading. We can either lead the rest of the world or we can resent the rest of the world. We can't do both. President Trump said uh, if a foreign government offered him information on his opponent, he'd listen. He said it's just like opposition research. What do you think of that answer? We're talking about foreign interference in American politics. And by the way, this isn't hypothetical. This isn't theoretical. We were attacked by a hostile foreign power that decided that they could 
damage America, destabilize America by intervening in the election to help him win. And they did, and he did, and now America is destabilized. If you believe in putting this country first, how could you ever talk about allowing uh, a foreign, potentially hostile foreign power to interfere in the most sacred thing that we have in our civic tradition in America, which is our elections? You said he listened before he considered reporting it. Just is there a scenario in which that's no, acceptable? Just call the FBI. It's not hard. It's not complicated. When you've been asked about the president and the Mueller report, you said that if you are elected, that you would consider pursuing obstruction of justice charges. It's not up to the president to pursue charges. This is the so thing. So I absolutely, I absolutely believe that uh, there are plenty of reasons to, to think that uh, uh, there may have been illegal behavior, and mm -hmm. uh, prosecutors should look at that, and no one is above the law. Not a president, not a former president, no one. I also believe that the last place you look uh, for guidance on how to conduct a prosecution is to the Oval Office. The less our law enforcement and prosecution has to do with politics, the better. So and when I, some of your competitors say that there should be obstruction of justice charges pursued, you're saying you're not endorsing that? There should be a Department of Justice that can think for itself. There's tons of evidence that would point to an obstruction investigation. I'm just saying it shouldn't be ordered up by the president. You look at a Justice Department potentially prosecuting the president, former president, would you ever consider a pardon? I don't think that uh, it's appropriate for pardon power to be used to cover for uh, malfeasance or corruption in office. Right so now, Ford's pardoning of Nixon? Uh, you know, I don't know what I would have done in the 70s uh, and, and that historical counterfactual other than that I'm bothered by the possibility uh, that public corruption went unpunished. And uh, the idea that that could happen in the future is equally problematic. Do you believe the Trump administration when it says that those attacks on tankers that happened this week were conducted by Iran? There is certainly uh, concern that uh, this is consistent with a pattern of malignant behavior by Iran. What I'm also concerned about is that this appears to be part of an escalation where this administration might be leading us on a path to war that could get away from this White House very quickly. Uh, look, it, it is nothing new for Iran to be acting in destabilizing ways in their region. We see it quite a bit. Uh, the question is, what are we going to do to make things more stable before the situation becomes uncontrollable? So what would you do? Well, first of all, engage our allies. Uh, we are not alone. At least we shouldn't be acting alone. And if we want to see stability in the Middle East, we should be engaging with our partners there, as well as allies like our European partners, who are such an important part of the Iran nuclear deal. And by the way, another thing I would never have done is mm -hmm. to get us out of the nuclear deal, setting off a chain reaction that has destabilized the regional security framework and the politics of that area, and making it that much harder for any moderates that, that are still in the Iranian regime to get anywhere because they look foolish for having staked their careers on the idea that you could trust Americans. We need to have a completely different approach. And when the same people who led us to the war in Iraq, like the National Security Advisor, John Bolton, are now apparently guiding our policy toward Iran in, in the White House, it makes you wonder whether we can really take this president at face value when he says he doesn't want us to go to war. You also said you would rejoin that nuclear accord with Iran. But the UN watchdog, the IAEA, has already said that Iran is ramping up its production of nuclear fuel. There are bans on arms that are going to expire right on the precipice of the election and shortly after you'd be entering office. So is that really a viable alternative? We're going to have to do something new. The point is that we never should have left it in the first so place. So you want new negotiations and a well, new deal with Iran? Any negotiation is going to have to meet the needs and the realities of the moment. Unfortunately, the moment we're in is one where uh, the United States' influence in this region has diminished because of uh, the, the way that, that we have withdrawn. Uh, so what we're going to have to do is re-engage with our partners, re-engage with anybody who has an interest in stability in the region, and do whatever we can to once again meet the objective of stopping Iran from developing nuclear capabilities, which is exactly what that deal was doing. Even this administration certified that that was the case. Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time. Good to be with you. The full interview is on our website at facethenation.com. We'll be right back with a look at where the 2020 field of Democrats stand in the primary season. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. 
Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. Today, we're unveiling our CBS News 2020 Battleground Tracker, which we launched in 2016 in partnership with YouGov. The first part of the 2020 Battleground Tracker will focus on the Democratic caucus and primary contests up to and including Super Tuesday. We'll have polling specific to Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina, along with aggregate polling from those states, plus the other 15 where contests will be held starting on February 3rd in Iowa through March the 3rd, which is Super Tuesday. In that aggregate of 18 early contest states, former Vice President Joe Biden is leading the field of candidates with 31 percent of voter support. Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are behind him with 17 and 16 percent, respectively. Senator Kamala Harris rounds out our top tier at 10 percent. Our next group has Mayor Pete Buttigieg polling at 8 percent, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke at 5, and Senators Cory Booker and Amy Klobuchar polling at 2 percent. The rest of the field comes in with 1 percent of the vote or less. Joining us to tell us more about this first batch of polling, as well as what we can look forward to this campaign season, is CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto. Anthony, I know you live for this. Uh, Explain what's so different about the battleground tracker. Well, it promises to be a big election, so we've got to go big with the polling. And what that means is talking to more people than we ever have before, more than you'll see in most other polls. It means being in the states that really matter, the districts even, that are going to matter and award delegates. But mostly, Margaret, it means putting this in terms that voters can relate to, understanding how they think about this race and getting beyond the horse race. So, for example, you mentioned, as is clear in all these early states, Joe Biden is leading when we pollsters come along and ask, who are you going to vote for in six months? But it's early. So what are voters doing? They're considering some of these candidates. When we ask them which candidates might you choose, then we see a much closer contest. We see Warren under consideration, certainly Sanders, Harris, and to a lesser extent, Buttigieg. Those are the folks that really define that top tier. And those are the folks that voters are starting to narrow their choices already in this big field. You also see differences in what voters want in a candidate in general. And that's what I want to ask you. What are voters looking for? Is there a divide among Democrats? Yeah, in fact, there is. We asked people, what should the party's message be? Should it be that the party would, if they win, return things to the way they were before President Trump took office? Obviously, Democrats want to defeat President Trump. Or should the party press for a more progressive or liberal agenda than it's ever had before. And there's differences in vote choice based on how people divide on that. The folks who go with more of that return message are much more for Joe Biden. But the folks who say they want a more progressive agenda, well, there you've got a mix, not just Biden, but also Warren and Sanders really jockeying with him for the top spot. And what makes someone electable? Well, that's the word that gets thrown around this town a lot, right? right? So what we did was we we turned people into political strategists a little bit. And maybe they do a better job than a lot of the the (laughs) folks in this town. We asked them, who do you think has the best chance to beat President Trump? And by and large, they think that Joe Biden does have a very good chance. The other candidates, when voters try to game out those chances, place them more at a maybe they can win than a definitely win. That's one of the big things that's propelling Joe Biden. But then we went a little further. And we said, "Okay, Democrats, tell us what you think swing voters are going to want come that general election in 2020. In other words, not you. But what do you think others are looking for? Exactly. So as they game that out, 
Democrats say they think those swing voters, the ones they got to try to lure back to the party, might more might be more inclined to want a moderate and even a white male for those swing voters they think would be concerned about race and gender, even as the Democrats themselves, of course, have the most diverse uh, primary field in history. Most diverse, also most crowded that we have seen. And that's one of those questions we often ask when we're talking to candidates is, is that hurting you that this field is so full, 24 candidates? So is it? I mean, why are there so many? Well, there are so many in part because I think the rules incentivize this, which is to say this year the Democrats have changed their rules so that party leaders and elected officials don't have as much say in the initial part of the contest as they used to. They got rid of what they called superdelegates. Part of this is a response to 2016. It's definitely a response to 2016 when a lot of Democrats felt that those party leaders may have had their fingers on the scale for Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. So this year you've got much more power, at least in that first run, with voters and electing delegates to the convention. That's one reason. And the other is that with such a front-loaded schedule. A lot of big states are going to be holding their contests early, Mm -hmm. not just the ones you mentioned, you know, California, Texas, etc. That brings a very diverse electorate into the mix. And so a lot of candidates feel like, well, they can pick up delegates in all those different places. Maybe why not take a shot? And that's one reason why you're going to see so many candidates on those stages uh, come next week. Anthony, I know we'll be talking a lot to you in the coming months. Thank you. Thanks. We'll have more results from our 2020 Battleground Tracker ahead. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you? That's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. It's time now for some political analysis. Amy Walter is the national editor of the Cook Political Report. Antoine Seawright is a Democratic strategist and contributor on our digital network, CBSN. And Leslie Sanchez is a CBS News political contributor and also a familiar face on CBSN. Good to have you all here. Uh, Amy, I want to start with you. You heard Anthony lay out the battleground tracker and some of the nuggets he picked up. And it reminds me of the way you framed it revolution versus restoration. It seems among the Democrats, the fight to be had is on the revolution part of the ticket. Right. And that's where the Warren and the uh, the Sanders fight is right now. They're taking about a third of the of the vote. But we were talking right before the panel, the person then we we wonder then who will Biden ultimately have to fight with for that restoration? And that's we haven't seen that quite yet. Even Pete Buttigieg, I think, is on the sort of Warren and the Sanders part of that, again, saying we need somebody different. We need a, we need a new way of thinking about things. We don't need to go back to the old ways. He says that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Let's not go back to the 90s. We need to be looking to the future, not such veiled swipe at a candidate who was very active in the 90s. <laughs> the person who really is, I think, a threat to then Joe Biden is somebody like Kamala Harris, where you see that she doesn't pop up really very much in the polling. Her numbers overall are pretty low. But when you ask people about their second choice, her name comes up very high in that list. Um, I think she's at 45 percent in your poll, which suggests that people don't necessarily they're not thinking a whole lot about her. They don't know a whole lot about her quite yet, but they have her in the back of their mind of sort of a hmm, if not Joe Biden, maybe I'll take a look at her. Maybe they'll give her a shot. Well, she is someone that uh, in that interview with Pete Buttigieg, he did also take a little bit of a, a gentle swipe, Antoine will say, in terms of uh, trying to differentiate how he would respond uh, to potentially prosecuting the existing president. Are we going to see these elbows get a little sharper next week on the debate stage or are we still going to have these just sort of veiled swipes? <sighs> 
Well, politics is a contact sport. And so you just have to assume for people who want to separate themselves from their opponents, they're going to do everything they can to pretty gentle so far. It's still early. We're not even in preseason yet. We're still in the training camp phase of this process. It's still early. Of course, they're going to be there's going to be a strong attempt to define their opponents, but also to swipe at the front runner. Joe Biden, we've seen some of that to this point. I think it's actually backfired. I think it's made him stronger. But to Pete's point, he is trying to climb the ladder or get into this space that you talked about where he is well positioned to be an alternative to Joe Biden. Um, But the candidate who has the ability to take a licking and keep on ticking will ultimately be the one that I think will be able to take on Donald Trump. And to this point, the polls indicate that person is Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And so when we see that debate stage, it's not going to be ganging up on Joe Biden. That's not going to be a successful strategy. I think I, I will not. Dude, I do not think it will be. I think that what the voters are hungry and thirsty for is what people are for, laying out your own policy agenda. We've heard that time and time again. And I think that if I was on that stage, I would strictly talk about what I was for, but I would speak to quality of life issues because I think that's where everyone is. Everybody wants to feel secure. They want to feel like their America is better than their parents' and grandparents' generation. Leslie, there was a lot of uh, attention this week to internal polling or other polling that might suggest President Trump is more vulnerable, particularly in the heartland, than he would allow others to believe. Where are these sort of soft spots for him? Right. Um, I think it's a really fair question when you're talking about incumbency, but I also like to look at the historical context, right? We know for the most part people prefer to give a president two terms unless there's something wildly different about it. Just historically, you're going to do that. What's different about Trump is if we even compare, I would tell my Democratic colleagues, to Obama at this point in his administration, 2011, 2012, they're within three or four points of each other in terms of approval rating. Uh, he also had just had a big defeat in the midterms, you know, speaking of Obama and same kind of, you know, bruised egos in that sense. But by the time he got to election day, there was a resounding defeat. And that's part of what Republicans are looking at. The president has mostly flatlined when it comes to approval rating. But what I'm not hearing talked about is style of leadership. That's what Republicans learned in the primary um, last go around. It was not an issue mano a mano on policy. It was this new approach, a new more centrist approach that wasn't particularly Republican. It certainly wasn't conservative, but it was breaking the polarization. Well, it's, it's emboldened polarization, but it was breaking traditional Washington. And that's what you're going to need in contrast to this president if any Democrat is going to get leeway. And is Biden the biggest threat still to him? I mean, that's certainly from our polling what people's impression is that he is the best shot. I think for most part, you could say that because he's going to appeal to a lot of that Rust Belt voter, the the, the working labor, a lot of areas that, that Trump did well in that other Republicans have not done particularly well in and not consistently. But again, I'm going to go back to the economy. If you look at the economic numbers in those states, which is what we looked at in the midterms as well, if it's over 50 percent, then it's likely to swing toward Republicans. And that's what I'm going to be watching. But, yeah. but, but, but. <laughs> I think, but plus, but, but it's been pretty obvious that healthcare is the number one issue of the day for Democrats and Republicans. And to your point, here's the interesting thing about Joe Biden. He is one of very few people running our primary that could bring the many corners of our party together together and take away from the Trump voter who voted for him in 16, who voted for Barack Obama in 2008. And if health care is the number one issue of the day, mm-hmm. the Republicans have failed the American people as it relates to access and affordability. There was one really important thing, though, in that the pushback from the Trump campaign on the polling. They said, well, in our own polling, when we gave voters a choice of a candidate who had these certain qualities, then the numbers got much tighter. This is called an informed ballot. Basically, what they were saying is, if you had a choice between Donald Trump and a socialist, who would you vote for? Right? <laughs> There's a reason that the term socialist is coming up a lot, not just from the Trump campaign. You're teeing me up perfectly here, Amy, because <laughs> yes. I want to play this soundbite here from Senator Bernie Sanders. I do understand that I and other progressives will face massive attacks from those who attempt to use the word socialism as a slur. But I should also tell you that I have faced and overcome these attacks for decades, and I am not the only one. Yeah, well, what the poll showed is that that's not... 
working really well right now, because when you ask Democratic voters who they think is the most electable, who's the, mo- the who is a candidate who's best able to beat Donald Trump, this is where Joe Biden wins, in part because it's harder to attack him with those qualities. So it's pretty clear what the Trump campaign wants to do. Look, they're not going to win because Trump's numbers are going to increase. No. Obama's numbers, as he ran through 2012, his approval ratings went up. That's not what's going to happen here. His numbers are going to probably stay the same, Trump's are, but he has to make whoever the Democrat is as unpopular as he is. And if you look, there's a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll, the candidates who they said, who are you the most uncomfortable with? Trump's number one at 52 percent, Sanders number two at 41 percent. That's the danger. Well, on the historical part, you had more people, Trump get more support in terms of the primaries than ever before. He also had more people voting against him in the primaries right. than ever before. So it was the dichotomy of the two, yeah. which again goes to that point of what were they looking for with Trump? If you look at the voters, right. authentic, authenticity, they were tired of this polished as people in the business, you know, who do a lot of the messaging and preparing candidates. Voters were tired yeah. of the veneer around politicians. They wanted somebody who was non-traditional in that sense, who had conviction, whether you like it or not. And then and the, the funny part about, about the president is he said, they said, oh, he'll be more presidential when he gets into the White House. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, you know, when I get there, I'm going to be more presidential. And it's like wearing a pair of shoes that are too tight. You know, you may get down the hall, but the second you can, you're going to take them off. And that's what he's done. And people have respected, they may not like his style, but they respect what he's done. And now he gets legitimate credit for a booming economy. That is a really difficult thing to move against uh, as an... Well, uh, we've got we've to leave it there, unfortunately. <laughs> it's all the time we have. Right. But we have, what, more than five <laughs> days to go. I'm sure we'll be bringing you back to That's talk good. more. Uh, so thanks to all of you on our panel. That is going to do it for us today. Thank you all for watching. And we want to wish all the fathers out there a very happy Father's Day, including my dad, my father-in-law, and my husband, who has his very first Father's Day today. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Arkansas Republican Senator Tom Cotton, Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, and presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.